0: I was thinking about it over there. It is an unbelievable gift to be able to be a part of this community and to spend these few moments together like that you guys would make time for these inputs in your life. I hope, what ends up being um, a place where you can reprioritize your heart. I feel like every Sunday, every single week, I know I need like an opportunity to catch up from the week and reprioritize what's actually important, reorder my heart in a way that honors God and in which I can receive Him. So, my hope is that you experience that this morning as well. We are in a series, it's a six week series, as John talked about. We're on week like 32. So, obviously, we undershot what it was going to take to get through some of these things that we're super excited about. And I actually really am glad for what we're doing because we kind of started with talking through the book of Acts. What happened in the early church? What happened? after Jesus was resurrected, and and what happens when his spirit is on the move. And we did that and we're sort of circling back on some of the main themes that are there. So a couple weeks ago John talked about singing and how singing shows up in the early church and what that means for us and in our lives and what praise does for us. We talked about truth. Last week, and this week we're going to talk about baptism. Okay, so these things are actually sort of falling in, in order with each other. And um, I don't know if you've been a part of a baptism at Hill City, we had baptisms last week. If you have been a part of it, you know, like it makes you feel great, doesn't it? It's just like we're all here, we're cheering, it's amazing, it's awesome. Um, but I wonder, I wonder specifically about how often you think about baptism, um, and more specifically, your baptism, if you've been baptized. When's the last time you thought about your baptism? When's the last time you're like, wow, like that was, you know, some of you were baptized as children or infants and you're like, I don't even know, I wasn't even aware what, what happened in my baptism. But there's something here for all of us, I think, and I think it's actually, it's actually a problem <laughs> that we don't think about our baptism. That's how important it is. Not, not just the act, not the, not the physical act, but the, the idea that this sacrament, what baptism is, it's an outward sign of an inward reality. It's an outward sign of an inward reality, something, a new reality that has taken hold of us. So we're gonna take a look at what that looks like in the books of Acts and then kind of walk it back a little bit in the hope that the significance and the power of baptism becomes more clear and more real in your life this week in a way that really brings comfort and joy and growth. So we're gonna talk about the beginning, and this is like, we've been here before, but let's revisit, right? We're doing sort of a survey, and in the beginning, we see right away that after Jesus died and was resurrected, and his followers began to preach with boldness and conviction and courage, and they were like telling people, this is what this really means for your life. When people would respond, this was the response. So Peter, like this is early on in the book of Acts, right? And it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So right away, the people who are receiving the message are hearing that the response to the message is baptism. So that gives us a clue that this idea of baptism wasn't new just in the church. Like obviously, Peter wasn't like, hey, and then we're going to do this thing. And in this thing, you're going to go under the water and then come out of the water. Like He just used the word baptism, and people there knew what he meant. Because this idea of a baptism or a rite, this sort of cleansing rite, was around for a long time before this moment. This was a thing that happened in actually a lot of religions. It still exists today in Judaism, which is sort of Jesus' lineage. In ancient Israel, this was a thing, and this thing was called a mikveh. Okay? This is the Hebrew word. And look, I even gave you some Hebrew in case you're looking for your next tattoo or something. You can say it's whatever you want, because no one will know. But this is actually the Hebrew word for mikvah, and we see this in the Old Testament. And mikvah means collection. And the idea of a mikvah was it was a way to be cleansed. So if something had happened that would make you unclean in the law of the Old Testament, you needed to go through this cleansing ritual in order to be made clean again. The other time that a mikveh was used is if you were converting. So you were like outside of the faith, outside of the Jewish faith, and you were converting to the religion. And what was interesting about a mikvah is that it had to be a living water source which means that it had to be connected to something that was constantly running. So it had to have like a spring coming through it or a well coming through it. It can't just be like a hot tub. It has to have this connection to what would be called living water. So it had to have a live water coming through it. And this has been going on since ancient times. So here's an example of a mikvah from 1128. So this is about you know early on, and you can see that you've got to go down here, and this is going to be connected to an underwater spring. That's why it would be here. And, and for your rights, you would need to come down very specifically and come back up out of it. This is still in use today in Judaism. A mikvah is still something that happens. Um, it's a little bit upgraded. This is a <laughs> – not all of them are upgraded, but this is a modern-day mikvah in Brooklyn, and they've sort of made it like a spa. So you might think to yourself, huh, that's a weird like ancient, right? right? Like it doesn't exist today. But I actually think that similar ritual purifications are part of the religion of America. I think there's an innate part of us that gets the idea of like needing to be cleansed, needing to start new, needing a, a fresh start. Here's a little example. You know, I'm going to burn some incense. I'm going to like you know, wave some sage. I'm not saying, that's not a Christian thing. But in America right now, people are like innately drawn to this idea. Ever ever know anyone or talk to anyone who's been like, I'm going on a juice fast. I'm gonna do a juice fast to start my year, right? Or, you know, the, the, the quintessential, like suburban America way is Whole30. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know, the people who are laughing know what this is. Okay, if you don't know what it is, you don't need to know, like just don't find out, don't get involved, but it's a a way of eating, right? And I've tried Whole30 a few times, I've made it exactly 18 hours, so obviously not for me. But there's this thing, like there's an innate desire that we need a ritual to represent change. And we need rituals to represent times of cleansing or times that are made new. So there would be like this understanding, right, of what this baptism was. But I think we're gonna see something different in just a moment, something that actually makes this right, this experience, this thing for the Christian, much different than a cleansing ritual, much different than just a new start. Those things are included within this sacrament, but there is so much more to it than that. Let's take a look at how this sort of plays out in Acts. Just a quick survey of a couple of different ways this plays out. We see in Acts chapter 8, Philip is out there proclaiming, by the way. The reason that Philip is out in this new place proclaiming the good news is because persecution has come to the church. I think it's super important that we understand that even as there is spiritual growth, there is often spiritual conflict in our life. Where there is spiritual progress, there is generally spiritual battle. And so Philip is out there in these new places because the church is being persecuted and scattered, and he continues to do what he does, which is to talk about the good news of Jesus. And there's a guy there who's a sorcerer, who's kind of has his own power that comes from a different source, and he's so compelled by what he hears that when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. This is always the response. Simon believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Here's another one that happens in Acts 16. In this story, there's a woman named Lydia who's already seeking the Lord. She's already sort of a righteous person, so she probably was following the God of Israel. She was seeking after those spiritual things, and they go out to the city gate, the disciples. We sat there, and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyratira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, this is one of the places that we find an indication for the idea of an infant baptism. Not the only way. But this is one of those places where we see in Scripture this idea that a whole household was baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Lydia became a person who had a church meet in her home. So in the early days, we see that the way the church was being built was upon men and women who heard the message, who believed the message, they were baptized, and then this movement begins to happen out of them. Now, remember what I said, a baptism was not where the power was. The baptism is the outward sign of this inward reality. But what the baptism represents is incredibly important. This is still the story of our life today. One of my favorite stories is my young friend named Taylor. Taylor, when she was a freshman in high school, she had some older girls who would pick her up at her house to bring her to a ministry called Young Life. And she was introduced to Jesus through Young Life. And after a year of listening to the story of who Jesus is and what it meant to respond, she did respond and she believed and put her faith in Jesus. And she asked me to do her baptism. And here we are on a Sunday morning in Lake Gaston with one of those very same friends. And we're doing this baptism together. And today, um, this week, we had a conversation about this. And I said, Taylor, is it okay if I talk about your story at Hill City? By the way, Taylor's been an intern here at in Hill City last summer. And she was like, yeah, but I want you to know I got, because I said, remind me of the year, remind me of the date that we, that we did your baptism. And she said, you know, it was in my freshman year, but my faith didn't become my own until college. And I love that because that's a really, let's say, interesting phrase that often many of us feel. We're like, my faith didn't become my own. I was raised in the church, but my faith didn't become my own. I was baptized as a child, but my faith didn't become my own. And I think there can be this part of us that's like, did it work? <laughs> did it take? Because I got baptized, but I'm telling you, I wasn't any different. And that's like the perfect experience of what we're talking about today, because I want to talk about that gap, this idea that we're baptized and then our faith becomes our own and that there's actually a progression that we, we actually spend our whole life living into our baptism. That that thing that happened, whether you were a child, an infant, if it hasn't happened for you yet, or whether it was right here in the hot tub, that thing that happened is so significant and so real and so transformative that we can spend our whole lives making our faith our own. That we spend our whole lives living into that baptism because of what it represents. So what I want us to do today is we're actually gonna walk back to the origin story of why this this rite that used to be a, a Judaism cleansing ritual, why does this rite become the significant thing that represents what it means to be a Christian today? Why is this thing that used to mean that, now mean this? And I want us to walk back to the place that we're gonna find the origin of why this thing is that, it is that ritual, but it's so much more and that story is going to be about Jesus' baptism. When Jesus entered his ministry, he started his ministry by being baptized. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter three. We're going to spend our time today. And this is a story of the sort of the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the context. With which this happens with Jesus' story, if I can set the scene for you, we're gonna be outside the city, and outside the city there's this gathering of people. It's it's people who are already serious about God. They're already like interested, right, in what's happening, which is what I always think about. Anyone who's who's interested in spiritual things, like they're they're interested already, right? And they're out there and they're outside the city and they're there because they've been drawn out because of this guy named John the Baptist who has been preaching a preaching of repentance, right? And I think about John the Baptist as like, it's like the opening act if you go to a concert and there's like bands before the band. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where the band before the band, you're like, why did they choose this guy? But this guy, because John the Baptist was out there. Like, he was wild, and we've talked about this before, but he is strong in what he's saying. He's got, like, he's eating locusts, he's wearing, like, you know, fur, he's got this whole thing going on, and he is addressing with venom, with just fire, the idea that you are not righteous. But you need to remember, the people who are drawn to him are the people who are already serious about God. They already feel like they're, they're religious. And he's, like, out there, he's calling them snakes, he is not playing around, And he says to these guys who come out there, and he's baptizing people, which is right, that's weird, we're like, well, what is he doing? Well, he's baptizing people into repentance. That's what he says. He's like, I'm baptizing, inviting you to turn around. He's kind of, it's like the mikvah. It's like, hey, I'm baptizing you into this conversion because I am telling you that your problems are serious, that you are so far outside of God's way for people. And so he's preaching like this strong, strong truth. And he talks about this idea that I baptize with water, but someone else is coming who is more powerful than me. And he will baptize with fire. So this guy is bringing the literal heat onto these people with his message, right? It is super, super strong. And we might ask ourselves, like, that doesn't feel, if you've been around, you might be like, that doesn't feel like the way of Jesus. But the reality is John the Baptist represents the law. He represents the justice of God. He represents the holiness of God. And if you know anything about the gospel of Jesus, you know that if you don't know you're sick, you don't know you need a healer. And John the Baptist was kind of like, we're sick. Like, I'm trying to make sure that you know we have a problem. And if you don't know that you have a problem, if you haven't experienced that disconnect between who you want to be and who you actually are, then you don't need a savior. You don't need to know a healer. And so he comes with this huge message of, like, he's going to bring the fire. And then Jesus appears. And let's pick up the story there. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John the Baptist sees Jesus come to him, and his initial response is, we are in the wrong place. You are supposed to baptize me. I am supposed to be low. You are supposed to be high. I am supposed to be down. You are supposed to be the authority. This isn't right. People do this with Jesus all the time. This goes on and on with people because the sense that Jesus would take on that humility, he would come down to our level, that this would be the way of Jesus is just so foreign to our understanding of what is supposed to be right. If you're familiar with scripture, you might think of another story right now, which is Peter when Jesus is trying to wash his feet. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry and Peter's like, you can't wash my feet. There's this sense that, like, how could this be? How can Jesus be the one who's asking to be baptized? What is happening here? And this is so significant. And when we go into the layers, truly into the deep end, I'm not trying to, like, say so many puns right now. It just keeps happening. When we go into the deep end of what we can learn here, you're going to see layers of what's happening. And the first thing that we see is this human condition that says, you are in the wrong place. I'm the one who has to take responsibility for my actions. I'm the one who has to be accountable. I'm the one who has to fix it. I'm the one who has to take action. And Jesus pushes back, just like he does with John here. He does it with Peter, and he does it with you, and he does it with me. And he says, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Let's take a look at this right here, this little sentence. Look at what's happening here. This is the commencement of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of his ministry. He starts his ministry with a baptism. He ends his ministry with communion. He starts his ministry with a baptism, and he says, now is the time. And then he says, it's proper for us to do this. You see, Jesus, in his humility and in his way, is always inviting others to be a part of what he does you know one of my favorite things about baptism and what it represents for us in the church is that you can't do it to yourself you have to have you you have someone baptize you it's communal it represents the heart of God the heart of relationship that says that we are bound to one another we are connected to each other that we need each other in order to fulfill what it means to be the body of Christ together that we need the church. And he invites John to be a part of the start of his ministry. Now, we know Jesus was all-powerful and he was sinless. So he is going through an act that represents being cleansed, but he's already perfect. This is the beginning, my friends, of what we see play out all through Jesus' ministry. Where he says, I will take upon myself what is due to you. I will take upon myself what you deserve. I will come and humble myself to be with you. And I will be with you every single step of the way. All of that represented in this moment. He says it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Many of us think that all righteousness comes because Jesus died on the cross and was raised. But Jesus actually says the beginning of this ministry is when he began to fulfill all righteousness. That what was happening right here in this little microcosm represents what it looks like to live into the kingdom of God. It represents what it means that Jesus would humble himself, would trade places with us, would invite us to be a part of ministry, and then would say, hey, what's about to happen right now represents what righteousness is going to look like in your life. Jesus always chooses to invite others into the work. He is with us. Next part of the story, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. In Matt Fisher's sermon a few weeks ago, he's like, I want to talk about the Trinity, but I can't. But just a quick moment in honor of Matt. Here you see God the Father speaking. Jesus the Son is present. And who's the next one? The Spirit of God. So when you ask the question, like, why do we talk about God as three? And why doesn't God just call himself that anywhere in Scripture? He does call himself that in Scripture. But you've got to have eyes to see it. And here's a beautiful example of that very thing happening right here. He went up out of the water. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So if Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he wasn't a sinner, and if Jesus said to John, no, I need to take your place, and if Jesus said to John, all of this represents what it means to fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus began his ministry, he commenced his ministry with this baptism, then it stands to reason that Jesus' baptism teaches us what happens in our baptism. That what happened in that moment represents what happens to us. That this isn't just a mikvah. This isn't just a cleansing. This isn't just a new start. This is a whole new life that we're invited to. A couple things that I think that sentence represents, what Jesus invites us to when we talk about what Jesus' baptism teaches us about our baptism. Let's take a look. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Step one. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So we see the Spirit. And then we have a voice that says, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Three things that happen in Jesus' baptism. Three things that happen in our baptism. First one. Jesus' baptism is an open door to heaven. In the simplest way that we can understand it, when we are baptized, when we believe and are baptized into the faith, heaven is open to you. Your prayers are heard. You have a direct line to God. I was listening to a commentator who was talking about this, and I love this image, this idea that the heavens opened over Jesus, and we come under Jesus. So we basically get into the open portal where heaven is open when we are in Christ. Don't you love that image? Like, I want you to think about the next time you pray, I am aligning myself into the open portal where heaven is open to me because of Christ. Because when Christ was baptized, heaven was open to him and I am baptized into Christ. So now I have a direct line where heaven has been open to me again. This was the prayer of the Israelites when they were oppressed, when they were suffering. Perhaps it's your own prayer of pain. God, will you speak to me? Will you hear me? We have guarantee, we have security that God hears us because our baptism opens the door to heaven. The second thing Jesus' baptism teaches us is Holy Spirit power. It says that the Holy Spirit alighted on Jesus like a dove. Now, here's what's weird John the Baptist, remember opening act, crazy truth guy? He actually said, He's gonna come and he's gonna bring fire. And then what we see is a dove. You see, the Holy Spirit is power, but it's power under control. The Holy Spirit is power, but it's power expressed in humility. Do you know who's the strongest person in the room? The person who doesn't have to, like, manifest their ego. A person of humility is a person of restrained strength. And in this moment, it's not that it's not true that Jesus does bring fire. We, we heard about fire, right? Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, fire came over their heads. There is fire. There is judgment. There is a time where Jesus will come in power. But that's not the way he expresses himself here. The spirit expresses itself to Jesus and in us with the humility and the peace of a dove. I think this might be a place where our world is somewhat confused about the way we show up as Christians. And if you're confused at all about the way you need to show up in the world with your coworkers, with your life, with your opinions, it might be good to follow the way of Jesus, who from this moment and all the way through represents what humility looks like, what controlled strength looks like. And I know there's that one passage about him knocking over tables, but please make sure you read all the other ones as well, <laughs> right? There's Holy Spirit power. We have access to the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about for these last few months. This is what our baptism brings us to. When we believe in Christ, we are brought into Holy Spirit power. And this last one, maybe the one that means the most to us today is that this represents the affection of God. That in Jesus' baptism, we see a God who says, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I think the older we get, the more we feel like we have to hide the part of us that just wants to belong, that just wants to feel secure, that, that just wants to have a place. And we know that's what middle schoolers feel. And so perhaps if you're middle age, you're like, I'm not supposed to feel that way. But the reality is like our deepest soul's need is the affection of God. It's not just that God loves you, it's that God likes you. And that in this presence, in this baptism, God says, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my child whom I love, that I don't just love, but that I'm pleased with. And that feels, feels different, doesn't it? You ever feel that feeling? We've talked about this before, this sense of just, you're just delighted, like you just are seeing a little kid and they're doing something silly, whatever it is they're doing, where they just have no guile, they have just no sense that, that they should be anything but unself-conscious. And they're dancing or they're singing or they're telling you their dreams and you just, you, you just smile. It's not even your own kid. And you're like, I'm smiling that's, that's what that divine affection feels like. I think we get to have that little piece of that in our lives so that we know that that's just a tiny, tiny fraction of how God feels about you. Our baptism gives us these gifts. And you might think, whoa, that's a huge interpretation, Nicole, of this one sentence in all of Scripture but I really believe that what we see is Jesus live into this reality. What we see in the early church is people living into this reality. What we see in you and me and our friends and our discipleship groups is people living into this reality. That the baptism represents this gateway, but then we spend our whole lives living into this reality. And this is my favorite part of this whole thing is that I I believe this is what Jesus himself meant about what would come when we're baptized into Christ. Listen to what Jesus said at one point in his ministry. Jesus is in this place. He's got all these people around him and he stands up and he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I have water that will quench your thirst. Jesus actually calls himself the mikvah. And he actually then says, you are now that thing. You yourself are going to be that for other people. That thing that you thought you needed, that you need over and over again because you're constantly messing up, because you're constantly needing to be cleansed, you constantly need a new start, that is done in me. It's not only done in me, but in you because the spirit is in you. It will flow from you as well. This is why this baptism is so significant. This is why a baptism is is this one-time thing that represents a reality. And then Jesus, at the end of his ministry, gives us the over and over thing, which is communion. So at the beginning of his ministry, he, he inserts this baptism, which represents our identity. At the end of his ministry, he brings communion, which represents our ongoing sanctification, our ongoing connection to Jesus. Does that make sense? I know that's a lot right now. We just went, again, into the deep. But isn't this beautiful? I read this and I'm like, come on. Can you believe that we have a God who loves us like this, that Jesus came to represent all of this, all of your desires, all your heart's needs met in the person of Jesus? The difference between John's way at the beginning, John's way was this is hard truth and washing of your sins is an over and over again problem. You constantly fall short. You are not able to meet the holiness of God. That is the beginning. That's what John's baptism represents. But when we're baptized into Jesus, we are baptized into gifts that transform us again and again at the very deepest level of our soul. So how do we respond to that? how do we respond to this idea of baptism? I think there's one baptism, but we're constantly living into that baptism. That's sort of the takeaway thought for today. Look at this. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you've now clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're in a world right now where identity is like the core. What is our identity and who tells me what my identity is? According to Jesus, the identity of being in Christ goes deeper than anything else. It is the deepest level of what we know. First Corinthians 12 says we've been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share that same spirit. There's one baptism. But we're constantly living into that baptism. So what are we saying to God in a baptism? We're saying to God that I want to accept the offer of Jesus' forgiveness. And I want to enter into new life. We're saying to God, I'm surrendering myself as the center of my life. And I'm inviting Jesus Christ to be the center of my life. We're saying to God, I want to stop living my way for me. I want to start living your way for you. And when we say that, the the connection, the action is a baptism that happens from that place. So what does it really mean? I think that when we think about a baptism, we kind of have two options. We can either, we're always moving, we're always becoming. So we can either be living into Christ We can be living into our baptism, we can be living into the reality of our baptism, or we could be living into something else. We're, We're always doing one or the other. A portion of us is always being drawn, right, into these other places. And I don't know what living into Christ means for you, but I'd love to offer you a few things that I think it represents. When we are living into Christ, we are living into relationship. Real relationship with God. We're living into prayer and connection with the Spirit. We're living into gentleness. We're living into security. We have a security in our identity that doesn't come from anywhere else. And finally, we're living into confidence, a sense of knowing our value and our worth that comes outside of anything we experience here on earth. Now the question, as we close, the question really is if you're not living into that, if you're not living in to the left side of the screen, what are you living into? And I think what you're living into is actually what God brings to you even as we, as we sit here. And, and you know, I think most of us actually know. <laughs> we don't need somebody to tell us. We know, we know when we're living into something else when we're, we're living into ambition or we're living into just wanting to like experience comfort or we're just living into the next day. We're just so oriented to like everything that has to happen or we're living into our financial situation. We're living into our relationship status. We're living into the future. We're just living into these other things that don't create the security that we find in Christ. That does not mean your baptism didn't take. It means you're a human being. And you're a human being who's called by God to be living into this reality, this thing that we live into all the days of our lives. And our God is so good and so gracious and so merciful and so kind that we get to actually be living into that together. So I just want to invite you, we're going to close in prayer, and I want to invite you to maybe ask the Spirit of God who is dwelling within you. If you are a believer, he's dwelling within you. Ask the Spirit of God, is there anything coming between me and you? Is there anything coming between me and me living into the reality of my baptism? And let the Spirit of the Lord speak to you now. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we, if you guys are like me, we just don't think about this that much. So it's a new thought. And Father, we, br- we bring it into your love and care. We ask you, God, that you would make these gifts that you've given us more real and more true in our lives today. And Lord, if there's anything that we're living into other than you, we just, we turn from that we come back to you and ask you that you would make the gift of our salvation and our belief even more real to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.